I haven't talked about the three regulation losses or less in every set of 10 games yet this year. Teams in the NHL that can hold true to that are usually in the top three division slotted playoff spots at the full season's end. Teams that fall over that for regulation losses, but with winning records are the wildcard teams, while being 500 or worse usually keeps a team out of the playoffs. For every four or five losses in a 10-game stretch, a team needs to have a one or two loss stretch to balance it to get back to that three or less benchmark, meaning three or less less at the 10 game mark, six or less at the 20 game played or nine or less at the 30 game played and so on. Now we know the NHL's flawed point structure for one point overtime loss shootout losses and two point wins regardless of regulation or extra time. Those 10 game stretches loser points do help stay below the three regulation losses. A team still can't only be picking up single loser points all season. There is, as Dallas learned a year ago, a threshold where not getting the extra point winning can keep you out of the playoffs. The Central Division teams this year through the first games played, and the teams arrived at their first 10 games at different times, keep in mind, but this is their records when they did all compared to each other. The top-tier teams were St. Louis 7-2-1, Minnesota 7-3-0, and Winnipeg 6-2-2. That's why early on you heard me talk of these three teams as the top tier of the Central Division. It's looking primarily only at the regulation losses. All three teams remain on pace through the next 10-game stretch to be below the six total regulation losses. Those teams represent the Central Division 1 through 3 playoff spots. The varying game play can make it more murky, but if you can find, like on NHL.com standings that include point percentage, you can see a team with more games played, more points, but also more losses may be higher in the standings, yet point percentage-wise is actually lower, such as St. Louis by a point being behind Nashville with a game in hand on Nashville is at the moment. The wildcard teams through the first 10 were Nashville 5-5-0, Dallas 4-4-2, and Colorado 4-5-1. Those teams were one or two losses in the next 10-game set to being at that six or more, unless they had a solid win streak to already make up for just one bad 10-game stretch. And really over eight 10-game sets, you can't afford to have too many like these unless you have some with next to no losses to stay in the hunt for the division title. These teams in the wildcard spots, of course, compete with Pacific Division teams for those last two playoff spots. It's competitive. Nashville hasn't lost in regulation over their most recent five, and if they were to only lose once over the next five, they would be at the six or less by the 20 game mark. It just demonstrates why getting off to good starts matters. Playing catch-up is hard. Likewise, Colorado remains at only five losses. They also play eight games still to reach the 20-game played mark, having currently played the fewest games. Games in hand are great if the team can win them. Not losing another game over that stretch without Nashville losing only has Colorado keep pace with Nashville for now. 
The last non-playoff pair in the Central Division through the first 10 were Chicago 1-7-2 and Arizona 0-9-1. Under the formula, both teams were at more losses than you would want to have by the 20-game played mark, or Arizona with 9 was at the total a team competing for the division title would like to still be at or under at the 30-game played mark. Currently, Arizona at 13 regulation losses at 15 games played is over the 12 for a team's 40-game played benchmark. Let's use the 2017-18 regular season. That was an 82 NHL game schedule, just to show you how this works out by the end. Nashville won the President's Trophy that year, and they had only 18 regulation losses. Winnipeg was second in the Central with only 20 losses, Minnesota third with 26. Colorado beat out St. Louis for the last wildcard spot that year, 30 losses to 32 losses, and they got in by a point. Simply, 4 times 8 is 32, and that's over 80 games played, not 82 games played. It's to say, while a team can have a couple of 4-loss 10-game stretches, they can't do it all season long and make the playoffs. And if you can go 9-1-0 in a stretch, you can be 5-5-0, in another and still be at that six losses over the 20 games played the thing is most 500 hockey teams won't go on a 9-1-0 stretch to balance it at any point in the regular season the three regulation losses in 10 games is simply a benchmark to keep in mind there are years like this where a division simply is stronger than others you have to factor that in as well Take the Metro Division standings right now as an example. Another would be to stay in single digits, not double digits, in overtime and shootout losses, converting the others to extra time wins. But as a benchmark, the three Central Division teams who had the three or less regulation losses through 10 games, had they arrived at the same game played total at the same time, did hold the three top division playoff spots. Those top three divisional playoff spots will likely go to the three teams that are closest to averaging three or less losses in each 10-game set. With one head-to-head division game on both Saturday and Sunday, that being Arizona and Nashville on Saturday, and given Nashville's current three-game win streak, it looks to be the best starting point for the weekend game's wrap-up. Saturday, Nashville 4, Arizona 1 in Nashville. Less than two minutes in, a heavyweight fight between Nashville's Matthew Olivier and Arizona's Liam O'Brien that I give the nod to O'Brien in. Nashville's Matt DeShane opens scoring a little over halfway through the first with his team-leading ninth goal of the year, beating Arizona goalie Karel Vamelka far side low after a nice back pass from Roman Yossi. Arizona's Dimitri Askin tries to avoid a hit from Nashville's Mark Borowicki that ends up on his knee and he did not return. Arizona's Antoine Roussel jumps in and grabs Borowicki. Borowicki, five for the knee, five for fighting and a game misconduct. Roussel gets two for instigator, five for fighting and a 10-minute misconduct. Teams play two minutes, four on four, followed by Arizona having a three-minute power play. Another Nashville penalty makes it a five on three advantage for Arizona. Arizona's Clayton Cowher stopped net side twice by Nashville goalie UC Soros. Arizona doesn't get a power play goal on all the power play time. 
A late Arizona penalty, Nashville gets a late power play goal with less than two minutes to go in the frame. Yossi's point blast goes short side, 2-0 Nashville after one. Nashville's Ryan Johansson hits the post on a power play, and as the penalty expires, Nashville's Mikhail Granlin scores through traffic five-hole, 3-0 Nashville through two. Nashville's Yossi exiting the penalty box, can't score on a breakaway, but the puck goes off the end boards, and he banks it off of Arizona goalie Vimelka and in from below the goal line to score. A Nashville too-many-men penalty leads to Arizona's Jacob Churkin scoring his first goal of the year on a power play blast. Nashville's DeShane stopped net side on a power play, and Nashville's Ellie Tovalin can't score on a breakaway late in the game in Nashville's 4-1 home win. Low shot on goal totals, Nashville 24-23, to shot on goal advantage over the game, and penalty filled Nashville 1-3, for Arizona 1-6 for on the power play, and that was costly for them in the game. Nashville's Yossi had two goals and assisted on the other two Nashville goals in a four-point night, being involved in all the scoring. Arizona's Chikrin, after leading all NHL defensemen with 18 goals last year, picked up his first of the year and that would probably be the lone bright spot for the Yotes. NHL Player Safety Department did not give Nashville's Borowicki any additional suspension, while Arizona's Yaskin will be out long-term according to the team. Arizona insider Craig Morgan Sunday tweeted, Sounds like Yaskin will miss the rest of the season. Arizona forward Andrew Ladd was placed on the COVID protocol list Saturday and did not play. Arizona forward Christian Fisher also did not play as he was put on IR with an upper body injury. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bickle. This Tuesday edition wraps up the Saturday and Sunday games involving all the Central Division teams. The Division teams were all off on Monday night, giving me an extra day to drop the podcast that I absolutely decided to take advantage of having. We began with the lone head-to-head off the top. Here's where Nashville and Arizona are standings-wise, heading into Tuesday's action. Nashville, 15 games played, 9-5-1, 19 points, third in the Central streak, winners of three. Nashville has picked up points in their last five games played, 4-0-1, and that includes missing their best forward, Philip Forsberg, notably while doing it. The team is being led by three over-point-per-game players, Matt Deshane, Mikhail Granlin, and Roman Yossi, as well as the stellar goaltending of UC Soros, who sports a 2.17 goals against average and a .927 save percentage in 12 games started. Point-wise, with an extra game played, then Minnesota, Winnipeg, and St. Louis. Nashville is a point behind Minnesota and has the same points as Winnipeg and are a point up on St. Louis. As Nashville continues to win, they are forcing their way into the top three team tier in the Central Division 
and that represents Nashville as the biggest early surprise in the division this year. And with the Nashville slow start in mind to me, I want to see the team's record at the 30-game played, not 20-game mark, before I commit to this current stretch as a sustainable one. At a .633 win percentage now, that is above 600, and that is where, at best, I expect Nashville in a good season with this group to project out as. But I'd say, to me, it would be closer to 575 at best-case scenario. They're overachieving. Speaking of schedules, Monday the NHL postponed Ottawa's next three games and that directly affects Nashville as they embark on the three-game Eastern Conference swing of Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal this week. The Ottawa game won't be played and making it up at a later time will be a schedule challenge. It's a one game per road swing versus Canadian Eastern Conference teams, so when Does it help Nashville to make it up? They won't be playing those other teams again. Looking at Nashville's schedule, here's what I came up with. This is an idea. This isn't what the NHL will necessarily do. But late March, the 28th, Philadelphia is in Nashville. The 29th, Ottawa is in Nashville. April 1st, Nashville plays in Buffalo. That, well, is about as close to Ottawa, having already played Toronto and Montreal, will be. Thing is, Nashville plays Washington the day after the Buffalo game on April 2nd on a back-to-back. What I would do is have the Ottawa game in Nashville moved up to the Monday night on the 28th, forcing Nashville to play back-to-back, and that's not ideal. But then the teams would have a travel day to play on the 30th in Ottawa to make up the postponed game. Nashville would then have a day off before playing in Buffalo and Washington back-to-back with a pair of days off after before their next scheduled game. Nashville would have two days off prior to the Philadelphia-Ottawa back-to-back and those would both be home games. It also would make a home-and-home two-game series between Ottawa and Nashville and the travel after to Buffalo is about as ideal of fitting the game anywhere else in the Nashville schedule would be travel-wise. What the NHL does, we'll see. This Arizona portion of the podcast is unofficially brought to you by the Shane Wright Draft Lottery Sweepstakes. Arizona, 15 games played, won 13 and won three points, eighth in the central, streak three losses. Arizona is last in the NHL in points, six points behind both Ottawa and Seattle, the next closest, lowest teams. Ottawa losing mostly because of all their players being on the COVID protocol-related absence list, and Seattle simply hasn't been that good of an expansion team. The current three-game stretch of losses is against Central Division rivals on top of it, and Arizona has one more to go as they play St. Louis next. Arizona is last in goals scored per game, last in goals allowed per game. The power play and penalty kill near last in the NHL. Well, Arizona takes the most penalty minutes per game. Arizona also as a limited of a roster for depth had playing regulars injured that further compounds the team's ability to be competitive makes it more difficult than it was underwhelming to begin with meaning under ideal health they would be hard-pressed to win the injuries make it near impossible normally with cap space if you were wanting to be competitive The GM would have by this point got some reinforcements and it's almost to the point where they should simply for morale. 
when you think forwards Blake Como and Rocco Grimaldi are low-cost players that both just cleared waivers, well, Arizona should have been active on either or both players, honestly. Also, what's wrong with a one-year NHL minimal contract for defenseman Jason Demers once Connor Timmons, as he did, went down for the year to help bolster the Arizona D group? Demers is in Arizona and not playing for anyone. Is playing Dyson Mayo near 20 minutes a night a better option? Doubtful. Arizona has called forwards Ben McCartney, Yan Yanik, and Hudson Foshing from Tucson Monday. Minnesota on the road doubles up Seattle 4-2 Saturday. In the first, Seattle goalie Philip Grubauer makes a blocker save on Minnesota's Kevin Fiello off the rush. Minnesota's Rem Pitlick nets his first NHL goal over the pad under the glove. Net front set up by Ryan Hartman, who wins a race to the puck in the Seattle defensive zone ahead of former Minnesota defenseman Seattle's Carson Soucy. Hartman makes a hit in the neutral zone in the second that gives Pitlick a breakaway for his second goal, a forehanded lifted blocker side. Former Minnesota player from a couple of years back, Seattle's Ryan Donato drives with the puck to the net and is denied by Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. 40 seconds left in the middle frame. Hartman springs Pitlick on a breakaway. He goes backhand forehand and tucks it past Seattle goalie Grubauer's pad blocker side for his first NHL natural hat trick in his first NHL goal game. That's the first Minnesota player and 31st in NHL history to do it and on the NHL's 32nd team. Seattle's Donato off the rush is stopped and Seattle's Jonas Donskoy off a Minnesota defensive zone turnover forces Minnesota goalie Talbot to get a piece of his glove on the center slot shot to keep it out. Seattle near the midpoint of the third get a power play goal from a Minnesota player on last year's team, Marcus Johansson, on a net front tip at the top of the paint. Minnesota goalie Talbot makes two big saves on Seattle's Donato on another Seattle power play. With 5.06 to go, Minnesota's Nico Sturm scores a backhand empty net goal, corralling the puck off the end boards. Seattle's Kelly Yarncroaks blast and a Yanni Gord wraparound try stopped by Minnesota goalie Talbot. Seattle six on five with the goalie pulled yet again. Score with 102 left. Roof short side from the dot as Minnesota take the 4-2 win in Seattle. Memorable hat trick night for Minnesota native Pitlick picked up off of waivers at the beginning of the year from Nashville as I spoke of previously on the podcast. The three assists Hartman had to set up all Pitlick's goals can't be understated either. Hartman's the Minnesota team leader in goals and tied for the team lead in points with Kirill Kaprizov. Minnesota goalie Talbot, two goals against 28 saves, was solid in a heavy shot on goal workload compared to Seattle goalie Grubauer, who simply has struggled in the games I've watched him play for Seattle this year. A few former Minnesota players such as Donato, two years removed, and Johansson, a year removed with a goal and an assist, did their best to have good showings versus their former team in the loss. And watching Seattle play, there are just so many former Central Division team players now on that roster. 
makes it quite interesting. Minnesota, 14 games played, 10-4-0, 20 points, first in the Central, and a streak of one win. It's the start of a potential new win streak for the first in the Central Division, Minnesota. They have won five of their last six, a solid bounce-back win over Seattle that included getting the lead instead of trying to continue to be the comeback kids. Minnesota is the first team in the Central Division to reach double digits in wins and continue to get contributions throughout the lineup that I thought wasn't going to be as good of a team as the roster of a year ago, and it's safe to say that I'm wrong on that. Some of this year's new additions are finding ways to contribute more than the depth players that departed. Ryan Hartman continues his breakout season. There still seems to be players that haven't fully found their stride yet on this first place team. At home, Winnipeg get a 3-2 overtime win over LA Saturday. Less than two minutes in, Winnipeg's Kyle Connors, 11th of the year, on a net front rebound off a point shot deflection, open scoring. LA tie it up a little over two minutes after on a short side roof goal from the dot off the rush that beats Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck does stop LA's Matt Roy's shot jumping up in the rush. And Trevor Moore's backhander off the rush, 1-1 after 1. Well past the midpoint of the second former Winnipeg Jet, Brendan Lemieux lifts a shot pass off the pad, rebound for a goal. Winnipeg goalie Halbuck makes a blocker save on LA's Dustin Brown off the rush, 2-1 LA through 2. LA goalie Cal Peterson stops Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois driving to the net in the third. Winnipeg goalie Halbuck stops LA's Rasmus Kupari's backhand forehand going hard to the net after that. Winnipeg tie the game with a shorthanded goal as Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp stops up in the offensive zone and sets up defenseman Dylan DeMello who scores five hole for his first goal as a Jet in his 76th regular season game for the team. Two all needing overtime. In overtime, Winnipeg's Mark Shifley stopped off the rush by L.A. goalie Peterson's pad save. The next rush, Nick Ehlers set Shifley up for his first goal of the year. The overtime game-winning one-timer ripped short side roof for Winnipeg's 3-2 overtime win at home. L.A. will be glad to be done with Winnipeg till April now. L.A.'s seven-game unbeaten streak is bookended by losses to Winnipeg. Shifley's OT winner, his first in eight games played, is great for him. The game-time goal shorthanded by DeMillo, even more clutch from the most unlikely source, while KC continues his goal-scoring high clip with his team leading 11th as well as being the team point leader while not playing with Shifley and Wheeler this year. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, two goals against 27 saves in a game Winnipeg was outshot in 29-23 by L.A. Winnipeg, 14 games played, 8-3-3, 19 points, second in the central streak, two wins. Trying to keep pace with Minnesota is Winnipeg for 1-1 one one, with one more game in their current seven-game homestand to go. That will be a home and road game against Pacific Division leading Edmonton, who will have fresh memories of Winnipeg sweeping them in the first round of last year's playoffs 
on their mind as well. So look for that to be a competitive set of games. Winnipeg's bright spots haven't included Captain Blake Wheeler and Shifley. Finally netted his first of the year. So there's upside, although coach Paul Maurice's line adjustments to get certain players going can't come at the expense of players who this season, KC, Dubois, Cop, all point-per-game players or better, have been driving the offense along with this D-group substantially improved point production. The trade-off is keep those guys still going while getting the other guys going, not basically have everybody stop producing. We'll take a quick timeout on Central Division Hockey, the podcast still to come. St. Louis struggles against a pair of other division-leading NHL teams on a tough back-to-back. Colorado and Dallas both get wins they needed on Saturday as well. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Hi, this is famous Formula One driver Will Arnett. Join me and comedian Mika Hakkinen on our new Formula One radio program, The Fast and Loose Post Show, live on AMP every race Sunday. Download the AMP app today and follow AMP Presents F1 to join the show. Welcome back. St. Louis might be a surprise losing both their weekend games, but only for the falling in regulation in both and against other NHL division leading teams to put it into a fair perspective. Still, a split or getting the games into extra time was possible and St. Louis wasn't able to do it. First, St. Louis on the road fall 3-2 in Carolina Saturday. A minute 15 seconds in, a St. Louis neutral zone turnover leads to an off-the-rush short side Carolina goal on St. Louis goalie Joel Hofer. Hofer stops Carolina's Derek Steppen short side on a backdoor pass play. A delayed penalty to St. Louis midway through the first. Carolina looks to add to the lead. Carolina rookie Seth Jarvis net side goal called back and St. Louis made contact prior with the puck and it was deemed enough that the play should have been stopped. A fortunate call for St. Louis. Carolina goalie Alex Lyon in his first start of the year stopped St. Louis's Pavel Bushnevich in the paint. 1-0 Carolina after one. A Carolina power play goal by Sebastian Ajo on a one-timer short side roof blast under four minutes into the second adds to Carolina's lead. A St. Louis power play goal cuts the lead. St. Louis's Jordan Cairo shot off the rush rebound allows for Robert Thomas's pass to Bushnevich to score. St. Louis's James Neal stopped net side on a tic-tac-toe power play chance. Carolina goalie Lyon stopped St. Louis's Jake Wallman's blast and after Bushnevich rings the post he stops Neal on another rebound try. 2-1 Carolina through two. 48 seconds into the third, St. Louis's Vladimir Tarasenko shot off the pad nets a goal as he puts away the rebound on a second effort. St. Louis goalie Holfer stops Carolina's Jordan Stahl's backhander in the paint. However, less than three minutes left, the Carolina point shot blast is the game-winning goal, beating St. Louis goalie Hofer short side. Six on five, St. Louis's Ryan O'Reilly net side can't get the equalizer in Carolina's 3-2 win. 
While St. Louis held a 29-24 shot on goal advantage, they had to come from behind early and simply put, gave too much time and space for Carolina to dictate a fast pace. St. Louis didn't make a lot of mistakes, but they did make enough defensively to cost them and just didn't finish enough of the good scoring chances they did have by comparison. Still, the late goal after coming back to tie the game and a regulation loss kind of only seemed fair due to the Jarvis goal being disallowed. That would have given Carolina more of a lead because it probably should have counted. Otherwise, St. Louis missed a chance to get this game into extra time and pick up points when it was possible. Back at home, St. Louis lose to Edmonton 5-4 Sunday. St. Louis's David Perron stopped by Edmonton goalie Miko Koskinen on a two-on-one keep and makes a glove save on St. Louis's Ryan O'Reilly on a power play slot shot. Edmonton's Ryan Nugent Hopkins shorthanded draws a penalty driving to the net on St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington on a partial breakaway to negate a St. Louis power play. With Edmonton's Nugent Hopkins in the box, St. Louis looked to score a power play goal as Ivan Barbashev makes a deflection going to the net. Edmonton challenged for offside and St. Louis's Colton Perenko clearly was to negate the goal. St. Louis's Brandon Saad stopped twice on the power play by Edmonton goalie Koskinen's pad save on a tip and with the paddle of his goal stick as Saad tried to put the rebound in. Another St. Louis power play would open scoring as Jordan Cairo from the dot gets it off of and under Edmonton goalie Koskinen's glove to go in. Five seconds left in the first, Edmonton tied off the rush, Connor McDavid in the slot scores short side, 1-1 after 1. Under three minutes into the second, Edmonton power play goal, Leon Dreisaitl, one-timer from the low circle short side. A net front broken play, St. Louis's Robert Bortuzzo's point wrister goal beats Edmonton goalie Koskinen roof glove. A St. Louis defensive zone turnover allows Edmonton's Nugent Hopkins to score from the slot and eight seconds after... A fan backhand net front goes to the slot where Edmonton backhand it roof and in 4-2 Edmonton through two. In a third across crease pass from St. Louis's Robert Thomas set up Ivan Barbachev for a goal that did get just under the crossbar roof. But play continued for 40 seconds. Then it was determined to be a good goal at the stoppage. St. Louis's Vladimir Tarasenko, after being wide on a bouncing pass on a two-on-one as St. Louis pressed, got an in-tight pass in the play later on in the crease and jabbed it in to tie the game. A harmless-looking zone entry by Edmonton with 28 seconds left. Edmonton's Kaylor Yamamoto gets a one-timer in a soft spot in the St. Louis defensive coverage from the inner hash marks that beat St. Louis goalie Bennington roof glove to give Edmonton a 5-4 win. Shot on goal advantage 39-32 for St. Louis and an even later goal against that leaves St. Louis without a point. Truth is Edmonton goalie Koskinen made some great saves especially early that kept Edmonton close till St. Louis's poor defensive zone play led to goals to get Edmonton up. Again St. Louis battled back to tie the game. Tarasenko with the game tying goal if it were to have stood, only to allow an Edmonton player a grade A high danger chance that cost them with less than a minute to go, seconds before securing the extra time point. And again, St. Louis probably had earned to get that point with this game. Yet, not faulting St. Louis goalie Bennington on the last 
three of Edmonton goals because it was the St. Louis defensive zone failures to get a clear or to not pick up a defensive zone assignment that left Binner hung out to dry. He wasn't able to bail them out as he has for a lot of games this year so far. And when offensively St. Louis puts up four, that has to be enough to help Bennington get the win, especially when Edmonton was one for three on the NHL's best power play and St. Louis one for five, equaling each team's power play goal output. St. Louis, 14 games played, 8-4-2, and two, 18 points, fourth in the Central, with a streak of two losses. St. Louis still has a better win percentage than Nashville with a game in hand. It's not dropping the games to the division-leading teams. That's a surprise. Those are tough competition. It's the fashion of getting behind, and in the Edmonton game, late-period goals in the first and third, and that defensive play compete level that was lacking. It's the first time this pair of games, however, I would say the impact of not having center Braden Shen was a key player that would have with defenseman Tori Krug benefited St. Louis playing the division leading teams they faced. St. Louis was still lineup wise capable of winning, but I said St. Louis would hang with these teams. What you want to see is St. Louis dig down and win against them, something we didn't see. Monday, St. Louis wave Kyle Clifford. This podcast will be up before we know if he clears. But given players who have recently been put on waivers, I think Clifford will clear and be assigned to the American Hockey League once he does. Not requiring waivers, forward Dakota Joshua, goalie Joel Hofer, and defenseman Kelly Rosen, who were sent down on Monday as well. Goalie Hofer's demotion means backup goalie Billy Huso has recovered now and is able to return. St. Louis did call up defenseman Scott Pernovich. The ability for St. Louis to do that is why multiple players went down to create cap space, and especially without Tory Krug currently, Pernovich's skill set will help the St. Louis D group most. Simply, St. Louis needs to start playing better in front of their best player so far this year, goalie Jordan Bennington. Colorado at home routes San Jose 6-2 Saturday. San Jose's Matt Nieto, who played for Colorado between his two stints with San Jose, is stopped by Colorado goalie Darcy Kemper's pad save in the paint. San Jose goal to open scoring as Logan Couture connects with a howitzer one-timer put shelf from the far hash marks along the sideboards. Colorado's Miko Rantanen hits the post off a Colorado faceoff win on the power play. Colorado get the power play goal as Devin Taves' point blast goes in over San Jose goalie Aiden Hill pad blocker side. Off the rush, Colorado goal as Nazem Kadri is sprung for a breakaway. He outweights San Jose goalie Hill and tucks a backhander home. 2-1 Colorado after one. JT Confer left in the first period. 5.43 time on ice and did not return. He is expected to miss a month with a lower body injury. In the second, Colorado Sam Girard is cross-checked at the San Jose blue line without a penalty call, and that creates a turnover, and San Jose's Nick Merkley driving the net is denied by Colorado goalie Kemper's pad save. Colorado's Gerard keeping the play alive in the San Jose defensive zone at the blue line goes down the wall and finds Colorado's Alex Newhook for a one-timer short side goal from the slot. 
Colorado get a shorthanded goal on a breakaway by Logan O'Connor as he puts a backhander roof blocker side past San Jose goalie Hill. 4-1 Colorado through two. A minute into the third, Colorado's Gerard stopped on a deep inch. San Jose get a power play goal near the midpoint of the final frame from the soft spot in the Colorado penalty kill coverage that beats Colorado goalie Kemper through a San Jose net front screen. A minute 11 seconds after Colorado goal as Gerard's point shot goes off of Gabriel Landeskog, but to Andre Burakovsky who puts it into an open cage from the slot. Just under three and a half to go, Colorado's Gerard nets the empty net goal after getting just past center ice. Colorado's Landeskog on a two-on-one after tries to pass across, but San Jose goalie Hill prevents it. Colorado 6-2 final. San Jose did get seven players and head coach Bob Bugner back prior to this game. That's a lot of players to reincorporate into a NHL lineup after all missing six games. The battle of last year's Arizona goalies went to Kemper, especially with his play in the first. The river hockey style favored Colorado, especially at home, and the Colorado D took advantage to help create a lot of the offense. That's a good recipe without top center Nathan McKinnon and against the last two opponents Colorado has faced. In fact, I won't even temper expectations based on the upcoming games for Colorado. They should be able to outscore their way to more wins the rest of this month. Although the last three will be against defensively stronger teams with decent goalies, that's still three games away to worry about Bo Byram was at practice after the Vancouver game. However, he did not play versus San Jose and is out with a concussion. I had assumed, seeing that he was at practice, or tweets said he was, after the Vancouver game, that he was okay. I should have looked into it a little bit more, it appears. Defenseman Ryan Murray did slot back into the lineup. Sam Gerrard's breakout game, the empty net goal, and three assists hopefully put to bed the nonsensical trade rumors, as if Kale McCarr, Devin Taves, Sam Gerrard, Bo Byram, EJ, and Double J are the Colorado team's best six defensemen. I remind you, not once have they all completed a full game together this regular season. I still would play Murray and seven defensemen when all seven of those guys were healthy and not trade any one of those defensemen I've just listed during this current season. Colorado 12 games played, 6-5-1, and 13 points, fifth in the Central on a two-game win streak. As Colorado head out for a West Coast pair of road games at the reeling to find answers Vancouver team and then Seattle expansion outfit that hasn't scored goals nor been defensively particularly as good as advertised, I think Colorado will continue to put up goals and win games. In fact, based on the opposition, anything less wouldn't be acceptable and it should get Colorado back into the division mix. That still is dependent on how the teams above them, all with less losses, play, but Colorado shouldn't fall further back. Colorado claim forward Nicholas Abe Kubel off waivers from Philadelphia Saturday. I think I've seen Philadelphia twice thus far this year, and I didn't really notice Abe Kubel in those games 
in his fourth line role for Philadelphia. Still, comparative value to fourth line Colorado has been deploying to this point, and they can't find a way to stay injury free, so the low cost addition can't hurt. And while giving Colorado props for looking dominant, just know if they hadn't based on the competition's deficiencies the last two teams they met and probably for the next three games coming up well i would be very critical of this colorado group this gives no indication of what this team having had to play the two teams st louis did by comparison actually would have performed timing is everything colorado has three games over the next eight to reach the 20 game played mark against teams with an over 500 win record they have five against teams below it colorado better continue on this win streak for that reason alone dallas put up five goals at home beating philadelphia 5-2 saturday philadelphia goalie martin jones formerly of san jose who we just talked about stops a two-on-one dallas joe pavelski keep and a two-on-one jason robertson keep dallas's dennis guriana stopped driving to the net as well Dallas opened a scoring on Luke Glenn Denning's high tip at the hash marks on a point shot pass from John Klingberg. Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin stops Philadelphia's Cam Atkinson's high tip effort as he gets his glove on it on a power play. Dallas goalie Hudobin then robs Philadelphia's Travis Sanheim backdoor with a pad save beauty on a cross crease pass. 1-0 Dallas after 1. Teams playing 4-on-4 in the second. Dallas's Jamie Benn hits the short side post off the rush. Dallas get a goal off the cycle. Rope hints from the top of the circle. A net side one-timer by Dallas's Miro Haskin and a stop by Philadelphia goalie Jones. A Philadelphia goal is credited to James Van Riemsdyk as the last Philadelphia player to touch the puck. Dallas goalie Hudobin gets it out from near the goal line with his glove and Luke Glenn Denning uses his glove while on his knees in the crease to bump it back to Dobie and it actually crosses the goal line instead. Dallas restored the two goal lead as Tyler Sagan tips a pass off of a Philadelphia defense skate net front 26 seconds after 3-1 Dallas or two. In the third Dallas's Gurionis one-timer blast on the power play is stopped but Dallas get the power play goal later in the advantage from Pavelski as hints off the rush puts it off Philadelphia goalie Jones's pad but chips the rebound net front to Pavelski for him to score. Philadelphia get a power play goal on a point shot through traffic that beats Dallas goalie Hudobin blocker side. Doby stops Philadelphia's Keith Yandel's blast off the rush after. Philadelphia goalie Jones stops Dallas's Ben in the slot off the cycle. Dallas's Radic Vaxa from inside his defensive zone puts in an empty net goal for Dallas's 5-2 win at home. Dallas goalie Hudobin starts as Dallas goalie Braden Holtby is day-to-day with a lower body injury. Saturday, Dallas recalled goalie Jake Oninger as the backup for the game versus Philadelphia. As a result, it's one game, a Philadelphia team that played the night before and won against Carolina having to play back-to-backs with a team in Dallas with its back up against the wall based on their performance so far. In fact, Dallas's goalie Anton Hudobin making 19 stops to Dallas's seven shots in the first period is a big reason why Dallas was even able to get the goals later on to win this game. 
Dallas scored goals, but what do we make of the one-off good performance? That effort and ability to create offense over the next three this week is when we say Dallas has turned the corner if they can do it. I've seen this low-scoring Dallas outfit put together a one-off goal outburst to regress to not being able to do it again, and the next five games are against teams with winning records, and also they won't be catching any of those teams on a back-to-back night like they just did with Philadelphia. Dallas, 13 games played, 5-6-2, 12 points, 6 in the central, 1-game win streak. I don't envy, as I mentioned, Dallas's upcoming schedule, and quite honestly, with respect to prospects Riley Tufte and Jacob Peterson, I still think Dallas needs a major shakeup to the mix of this roster via trade. Sending vet forward Blake Como down wasn't putting this group on notice. The overall age of the team, second oldest only to the New York Islanders, isn't to me the explanation for the struggles. Other than brief synergy of one line from a year ago, Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson, Dallas have been considering the available pool of players downright awful otherwise, and Robertson has only returned for the team's last seven games. There's flashes from other players, but that isn't the same as line chemistry, and I really think trading out a vet forward or two just for someone else might just spark the rest of the group. I half contemplated the trade idea of St. Louis shipping Tarasenko for Sagan and Dallas moving another forward like, say, Denis Gurionov in a three-way deal with two teams to get two players back. That's actually putting your team on notice probably won't happen but to me this was a one-off Dallas game where they scored and the real showing starts in this tough next stretch of games if you can tell I'm skeptical then I've done well expressing my reservations Chicago 15 games played 4-9-2 10.7th in the central win streak three games Chicago has yet to lose under new interim head coach Derek King and they have a very comparable record to Seattle, who they match up with next to try and continue the win streak going. Injuries to forwards, Tyler Johnson, Brandon Hagel, and Mackenzie Entwistle have afforded forward Dylan Strom to slot into the Chicago lineup, where he ought to have been, but wasn't starting the year. His first of the year, a power play goal, was the game-winning goal versus Arizona, Of course, Chicago did not play on Saturday or Sunday, and that's not bad for a guy who couldn't get in the lineup, was rumored in trade talks, and is now actually getting to play and show he can contribute when he's used properly. Besides the Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinckit chemistry, there is still a lot of inconsistencies with this playing group, both offensively and defensively in Chicago. Up next, Tuesday, tonight, Central Division action has one head-to-head. Arizona, 113-1 at St. Louis, 8-4-2. And unfortunately for Arizona, St. Louis is going to put to bed their two-game slide, probably in a statement game. San Jose, 7-6-1 plays in Minnesota, who are 10-4-0. Edmonton, 11-3-0. And the Pacific Division leading team play in Winnipeg 8-3-3 to start a home-and-home two-game set between those teams. Detroit 8-7-2 is in Dallas 5-6-2. 
Nashville, 9-5-1, is in Toronto, who are 10-5-1. Wednesday, Colorado, 6-5-1, play in Vancouver, 5-9-2. And And Chicago, 4-9-2, is in Seattle, who are 4-10-1. Essentially, every Central Division team has a game over the next two nights, and the plan for the podcast is to drop the next podcast on Thursday after each team has played another game. And then we'll do one again on Saturday this week. is back and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. You'll also have instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, player props, and boosted odds specials. Just download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. The BetMGM app is the perfect way to experience the excitement of wagering on live sports now in more markets than ever visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions 21 years of age or older to wager virginia only new customer offer all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit free bets expire seven days from issuance please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-888-532-3500 How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.